0: listening to Practical Ethics Bites with me Nigel Warburton and me David Edmonds. Practical Ethics Bites is made in association with Oxford's Uhero Centre for Practical Ethics. Should we allow genetic engineering on early stage embryos? Some people argue that all genetic engineering is wrong and potentially dangerous. What are the arguments? Here's Tom Douglas. Tom Douglas, welcome to Practical Ethics Bites. Thanks very much, it's uh, great to be here. The topic we're going to discuss today is genetic engineering. Now, genetic engineering can take place in a number of different fields.
1: Yes, so there are many different uh, kinds of genetic engineering, but there are certain areas of genetic engineering that have particularly caught the attention of the public and of ethicists, and probably the most important of those, the genetic modification of crops for use in agriculture, the creation of transgenic animals, so these are animals that have had genes from another species inserted into their genetic material into their genome more recently there's been quite a lot of discussion of synthetic genomics which is a term for constructing the genetic material for say a bacterium or a virus from scratch from chemical building blocks and then there's genetic modification of humans typically human embryos
0: well let's focus on genetic engineering of embryos why
1: would anybody want to do that So probably the most pressing reason or the reason that's motivating scientists most at the moment is research. So scientists might be interested in inserting or deleting certain genes in a human embryo to see how that affects the development of the embryo. So, for example, scientists might be studying causes of early miscarriages. So when pregnancies fail to continue because the embryo dies at an early stage and they might suspect that a certain gene is implicated in causing these miscarriages, One way in which they might be able to study that would be by altering that gene in some embryos in the laboratory and seeing how that gene affects the development of the embryo.
0: It's obviously a very controversial area, genetic engineering of embryos, and I just wondered what kind of moral problems it throws up.
1: Well perhaps the most obvious moral problem is a problem that's not specific really to the genetic engineering of human embryos, but is a, a problem with embryo research in general, research on human embryos in general. So this research often results in the destruction of the embryo and the death of the embryo. So some people will object to it on the grounds that they think that killing embryos is wrong, and normally that would be because they think that the embryo is a human being, and perhaps a human being with all of the same rights as an ordinary adult human being.
0: But it differs from an ordinary adult human being in lots of ways. It doesn't have a language, it doesn't have the capacity to feel pain, it can't plan
1: for the future, That's right. And perhaps the dominant view about moral status, among philosophers at least, is that a being gets moral status from having certain mental capacities, like the capacity to experience pleasure and pain, or the capacity to to think or to be aware of one's surroundings. And these are capacities that obviously human embryos don't possess. There are, though, other views about moral status which are more friendly to the possibility that that early embryos could have moral status. Uh, And obviously there's a lot of debate about which kind of theory of moral status we should accept. One way we could try to think about this kind of issue is by using thought experiments, by considering particular cases in which we would have to make decisions based on what we think about the moral status of the embryo. So for example, imagine a case in which there's a, a scientific laboratory that has a refrigerator full of embryos that have been left left over from IVF, from in vitro fertilization treatment, and that are no longer wanted anymore by a parent. They're being kept in a refrigerator and after, say, 10 years will be discarded. And let's suppose this fridge has fallen over and it's crushing a small child who's been trapped underneath it. And you come along and you can either... You can save the life of the child by lifting up the fridge, but if you do that, the fridge door will open and all the uh, frozen embryos will spill out and die. Alternatively, you can leave the child to die under the fridge. I think almost everyone is going to say in that case that you should save the life of the child, even at the cost of the death of, say, a thousand embryos. This is a little bit analogous to doing research research on embryos that results in embryos deaths but could also potentially be used to develop life-saving treatments. And that intuition suggests that if an embryo has any mole status
0: at all, it has such a negligible mole status that even thousands of these embryos are not worth a single, ordinary human life.
1: Yes, that's what that kind of case I think would suggest.
0: I guess one problem people have with genetic engineering is that they worry that it's going to lead down a slippery slope to designer babies. We hear a lot about that in the newspapers that will end up creating these Frankenstein monsters.
1: Yes, that's right. So probably many people who object to embryo research of the sort that we've been discussing don't really have a problem with that research itself, but what they're worried about is what it might lead to. Particularly, they're probably worried about the possibility that rather than simply performing research, genetic modification research on early embryos in the laboratory, interventions will be done on early embryos and then those embryos will be carried to term and will become children and adults that have been genetically modified.
0: And is that feasible? Is that possible, that we can genetically modify embryos and and create different types of beings?
1: So it's a little bit difficult to know exactly what's feasible and what's not because of the fact that at the moment, in most places, there are heavy restrictions on what kinds of embryo research and genetic modification of embryos can be done. But based on research that's been done in animals and research that has been done on early human embryos, it certainly is possible to alter the genetic material of a human embryo in certain ways. In principle, at least, it will be possible to bring some of these genetically modified embryos into existence.
0: And why would scientists want to modify an embryo, which would then subsequently come to term?
1: So one reason might be to try to prevent genetic diseases at the moment, there's quite a lot of discussion going on in this country and in some other countries about a technique called mitochondrial replacement, which involves effectively replacing some of the DNA in a fertilized human egg with DNA from another individual in order to prevent what are called mitochondrial diseases. These are genetic diseases that, can, that are very rare but can be quite serious and cause serious problems with energy metabolism.
0: It's difficult to imagine anybody could object to that kind of genetic engineering. There you are doing a bit of genetic alteration and as a result a baby is born without a very debilitating condition.
1: Yes. So many people would not object to this. Some people would because they think that interfering with DNA is somehow in itself problematic. For example, some people raise what's sometimes called the playing God objection. They say that if scientists are tinkering with human DNA, then they are playing God. They're doing something that we should leave up to the deity or on a more secular version of the argument, they are tinkering with something that we should leave up to nature to determine. But Many people find these arguments unpersuasive because there seem to be all sorts of things where we're already doing like treating ordinary diseases, breeding crops and farm animals using selective breeding techniques. These are things that seem to involve biologically altering animals or people in ways that would perhaps be equally susceptible to these kinds of objections, yet we don't seem to find those practices particularly problematic. But again, probably a lot of the people who would want to object to something like mitochondrial uh, replacement would really be thinking not necessarily that this in itself is problematic, but would be worried about similar techniques being used to do more controversial things in the future.
0: And what might those be? One can imagine one could change an embryo so that a more intelligent baby was born, or a better looking baby, or a taller baby, or a baby with better linguistic skills. That feels a bit more yucky.
1: Yes, so those are precisely the kinds of things that many people would be concerned about. Often philosophers and others who have worked on on these questions draw a distinction between gene therapy on the one hand, which is genetic engineering for the purposes of preventing or treating diseases, and genetic enhancement, which is using genetic engineering to go beyond merely treating and preventing disease, to bring about characteristics that don't necessarily have anything to do with with health or disease.
0: That kind of genetic engineering just feels intuitively more uncomfortable. How seriously should one take the feeling that I've got, and I suspect many people will have, that there's something a bit, something a bit sci-fi about
1: that, something a bit um, discombobulating? So that's an interesting question, and one that has been discussed in the context of this debate. In general, it seems that we wouldn't normally think that the mere fact that some people find something a bit shocking or disgusting or have a what's been called a yuck reaction, would be on its own a kind of sufficient justification to say this is ethically problematic or this is something that should be prohibited. So for example, many people have a yuck reaction to homosexuality or to displays of affection within mixed race couples on the street and we wouldn't think that these kinds of yuck reactions are a good reason to say forming a mixed race couple is wrong or homosexuality is wrong or that these things should be prohibited so it seems like a yuck reaction on its own isn't going to be a sufficient justification but perhaps the yuck reaction is at least a reason to think are there any good arguments that would kind of be consistent with this reaction or would buttress this kind of emotional reaction in some kind of way and are there? So there are many arguments that people have made against genetic enhancement, and in some cases, gene therapy as well. Whether those are convincing arguments is another question.
0: I guess at some stage it might be very cheap to do this kind of genetic engineering, but there might be a period in which it's quite expensive and only the wealthy can do it, and the wealthy will end up with really good-looking, intelligent kids, and that will only exacerbate inequalities. Is that one objection to this kind of genetic
1: engineering? Yes, it is. So there are concerns about unfairness or injustice that might come about as a result of genetic engineering, and particularly unequal access to genetic engineering. So suppose this is very much speculation at the moment, but suppose that it became possible to increase the chances of of your child being very intelligent through some form of genetic engineering, or improve the physical appearance of your child through some form of genetic engineering. These might seem to be alterations that would be a benefit for your future child, for the individual who is going to be produced as a result of this genetic engineering, but they might seem to be disadvantageous for other children that are being born without genetic engineering, for example. To some extent, being physically attractive or being intelligent are goods that place other individuals at competitive disadvantage when it comes to finding a partner or finding a job, for example. How serious those problems are might depend on how widespread access to these technologies is. So if virtually everyone could take advantage of these technologies, then perhaps the problems would be mitigated. But there's also questions about the amount of weight that we should give to these concerns relative to other considerations. So for example, concerns about unfair distribution of goods could also be raised in relation to many kinds of education that some people can afford and other people can't afford. Certainly those concerns provide strong reasons to try to give everyone access to these advantageous kinds of education, but it's not possible to ensure complete equality of access. Nevertheless, many people would probably think education is a good thing, even though it maybe has some tendency to increase inequality, because some people can take more advantage of it than others, because we think that education generally makes everyone better off. Perhaps the fact that one person can afford some especially effective kind of education actually is to the advantage of other people who can't afford that education, because, for example, it helps to speed up scientific progress or improves human productivity in general. So so you might think that even if some of these forms of genetic engineering would, despite our best efforts, have some kind of tendency to produce inequalities. Concern about those inequalities might in some cases be outweighed by a general tendency to benefit humanity.
0: Is there a conceptual distinction one can draw between improving oneself through going to a good school or going to a good university or trying really hard and reading lots of books and improving a human being by tinkering with their embryo?
1: Well, I think there are lots of differences between the two scenarios that you just gave. So if you try to improve yourself through education, then you obviously have to exert efforts in a way that you don't have to do if you just are the beneficiary of some kind of genetic engineering procedure that was performed on you or on your precursor prior to your birth. But perhaps a more a closer analogy would be between things that parents might do to genetically improve their embryos through genetic engineering and things that they might do to try to improve the life prospects of their future child in other ways, for example, by eating well during pregnancy or avoiding toxins during pregnancy or things that parents might do, early childhood education, things that parents might do to try to bring about certain kind of characteristics in their future child, which to some extent rely on the efforts of the child. But if we're talking about a very young child, we might think there's not really so much of a difference between that kind of case and genetic engineering.
0: One concern might be the human race has got to where we've got so far into the 21st century without genetic engineering and it seems a bit risky now to start tampering with our embryos and with our genes and who knows what
1: might happen. Isn't it best just to leave this stuff well alone? So that is certainly another concern that's been raised. So we might think that the way in which the world works now is kind of the product of eons of human evolution and of cultural development and that we have some kind of reasonably fine-tuned equilibrium in our ecological system, and genetic engineering is going to be like a a bull in a china shop. It's going to be a very blunt intervention. It's going to be based on limited understanding of how genetics actually works at the time that it's first introduced. The risks that we disrupt our world's ecosystem might seem to be very severe, and I think this is certainly a, a reason for exercising great caution in this area. But I think we also have to be careful not to be too idealistic about our current status. It's actually a bit misleading to say that our current state is one of a fine-tuned kind of equilibrium. In fact, evolution is a kind of blind process that comes up with kind of ad hoc piecemeal solutions to problems as they arise. And you might think that actually the kind of evolution that's been going on in human history has not left us particularly well equipped to deal with modern society, which is very different from the society in which we evolved. So there are various reasons for thinking that the kind of current state of things in the world is maybe not as perfect as some ways of looking at it would suggest. If that's the case, then there might be at least some reason to think that there could be certain aspects of human life that could be approved through kind of judicious and cautious use of genetic engineering technologies.
0: If I had been genetically engineered when I was an embryo, and made better looking and more intelligent, and would have been rather helpful. Would I still have been me?
1: That's a difficult question. So that there tends to be an assumption in, in debates about this question that what we've been calling genetic engineering or genetic modification of embryos is very different from something else that's already happening, which is often referred to as genetic selection. So genetic selection is a process whereby we could choose between various different possible future beings and we could decide which one to bring into existence. So, for example, a couple undergoing in vitro fertilization fertility treatment now could already decide often which of several different embryos to implant into the the woman's uterus to try to produce a pregnancy it's technically possible and in some jurisdictions legally permitted to make that decision partly based on genetic tests of those embryos. So some of the things that we've been talking about are things that could be achieved to some extent through simply testing different embryos and deciding which embryo to implant into a woman's uterus based on genetic information. Now, That genetic selection scenario is clearly a case not of improving a particular individual. It's just a case of deciding between different future individuals. By contrast, the kinds of things that we've been talking about look like cases of improving a given individual You've produced an embryo, Uh, you're going to implant that embryo into the woman's uterus to produce a pregnancy, say. But before you do that, you make some genetic changes to the embryo. So it might look more like a case of an improving a fixed individual. But actually, I think in some of these cases, at least if the genetic intervention was very significant, then you might actually wonder whether, in fact, you're really replacing one possible future person with another. You're really changing the embryo in such a way that it's no longer going to produce the same future person than, than it would have otherwise.
0: And the question is, would that matter? Would it matter that you're changing the identity of the person you're creating?
1: So some people think that it would consider, again, the genetic selection scenario. Suppose parents have a range of embryos tested. They discover that some of those embryos are are likely to produce children that have genetic deafness, and the others don't. And they decide that they would like to implant one of the embryos that is genetically predisposed to be deaf. If you think that deafness is something that kind of reduces your well-being, which is controversial, but suppose we think that it is something that reduces your well-being. Some people think that parents that choose a deaf child in that kind of way may be subject to some kind of moral criticism, but not the same kind of criticism as we would give to parents who have a child and say, damage its ears in a way that make the child deaf. Because when you damage your child's ears and make them deaf, you make them worse off than they otherwise would have been. You harm them in the kind of ordinary sense of making them worse off. By contrast, if you select a deaf embryo in preference to an embryo that's going to give rise to a normally hearing child, you're not actually making that future deaf person worse off than they otherwise would have been because they otherwise wouldn't have existed. If you had chosen otherwise, you would have had a different child. Some people think that that makes a difference. Other people suggest that there's no important difference between these cases. If we think that these genetic modification cases, cases where we modify an embryo, affect the identity of the future child, if they affect which future child comes into existence, then from a moral point of view or an ethical point of view, we should think of these genetic modification cases as just like genetic selection cases, just like cases where we're choosing between different possible future children. And as I mentioned earlier, some people think that those kinds of cases are, are importantly different from cases where you harm or benefit a given child.
0: It's already a highly charged area, genetic engineering. But presumably, with advances in science and technology, it's only going to get more controversial.
1: I think that's certainly right in, in the short term. The scientific possibilities will increase. The kinds of things that scientists and eventually clinicians want to do with these technologies will expand, and so the debate will probably become more intense. I'm a bit optimistic that in the longer term, though, maybe the debate will calm down a little bit. I have the impression that a lot of the concerns that are raised about genetic modification at the moment are based on the idea that there's something very special about genes, because genes somehow determine who we are in a way that, say, environmental influences don't But I think that actually genes are just one influence on who we are and that probably pursuing some of these technologies will show us that. We'll see that there are actually great limits to what can be done with genetics and that it's not the sort of all-powerful force that some people may be inclined to think it is. And if that's the case, then maybe eventually we'll start to see genetic interventions as something more like ordinary medical treatments or ordinary cultural developments that we use to change our lives. Tom Douglas, thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me. For
0: more Practical Ethics Bites go to www.practicalethics.ox.ac.uk